Welcome to Overcome Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to talk with Dr. Roddy Ferguson, black belt in judo and in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, PhD in education, author of more than 15 books, and was part, and he was also part of the USA judo team in the 2004 Olympic Games in Athens. Stay right there. This is going to be a great episode. Welcome to Overcome Podcast, Dr. Radiv Ferguson. Thank you very much for being here today. What's going on, man? How are you, Yuri? Good, good. Uh, it's such a pleasure and honor to have you here. I read your book. This is what really drove me to invite you to the show because... What's, what's your book, man? I have 17 of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Judo, The Secrets of Judo. Uh, it was actually audible. Um, okay, all right. The uh, Judo Success Secrets. Yes, yeah. it's amazing. Uh, and it was audible format, so I, I could actually listen while I was working out. Um, mm -hmm. And there is a lot of uh, uh, principles on that book that I, I thought that was uh, quite amazing that you can apply to any area of, of life. It's not, re it's not really only Judo, uh, I think. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And one of the things that you talk about on that book is about the power of uh, visualization. Uh, can you explain a little bit more about that concept? Well, I tell you what, um, I I like to take everything back to the conceptual frame that I subscribe to as a Christian. Mm -hmm. And the thing that we have in the Bible is that they, it's written that without a vision, the people perish. So. In order for you to be a thing, you have to see the thing. And the way that you see it, you see it in what we call your mind's eye. So you go through these, these mental machinations of seeing yourself being successful first. And then you have faith that you're going to succeed. And then the Bible says faith without works is dead. So then after you visualize and you have faith that you're going to do the thing, then you have to put the work behind it. Right. But if you're just putting work behind no vision, then you're just spinning your tires. So you have to create a vision for yourself and a vision for success. Mm -hmm. So visualization, vi visualization on the on the lower levels for the grassroots level judo player is basically just seeing yourself being successful, seeing yourself arrive to practice on time, mm -hmm. seeing yourself doing the warm up, seeing yourself moving through the uchikomi, seeing yourself doing everything the correct way at at a level of excellence, and then you move to the next level where I used to put the um, like milk crates on the floor to create stands, one and then two, or one and then two and then three, and then have people get all the way up and stand up to the top and raise their hands in the air and then get off and then get up top and then raise their hands in the air. So they what we call winner reps. Oh, wow, so nice. You have, these, you have these repetitions like you are the winner. Mm -hmm. And you walk through and you get on the crates and you raise your hand and people bow their head down and you, you, you put the metal on top of And you do repetitions of the metal ceremony over and over and over again to visualize yourself and to actualize the vision of, I'm supposed to be at the top of the metal stand. This is how I'm supposed to feel. I'm supposed to get my metal. This is what it looks like. So that you can now take what you have in your mind and then understand the process of reverse engineering it through the work. So if I want to be on the top of the metal stand, what does that mean and what does that look like? Well, that looks like what we talked about at the grassroots level. That looks like coming to practice on time doing my strength and conditioning sessions all the time, being where I'm supposed to be, when I'm supposed to be there, doing everything right at an excellent level. And then 
that means I have to watch film. That means I have to do the visualization exercises. That also means that I have to sit down with my coach and talk about um, techniques and tactics and strategies and understand strength and conditioning and how they apply to becoming the best in my sport. Yep. And then you move to the next level when you become a professional and you take all of those things and you combine them with the work of a sports psychologist. So now you're going past the process of visualization and you're moving further into the conceptual framework of the uh, of the Bible, the, of the Judeo-Christian uh, Judeo theoretical framework where you talk about without a vision that people perish. And the Bible says, write the vision and make it plain. So now you got to take your vision that you've been you've been doing all your visualization exercises, and now because you're a professional, now you take your vi you take your vision and then you write your vision down and you make the vision plain. So now when you do the exercise about standing on the top of the stands, you take a picture of yourself, boom, put it on your vision board, and then you write your name. You say. Rodney Ferguson will be the so and so ba 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 national champion on the ba 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 team in year two thousand ba ba ba, and you write it down. I will X Y Z. You start writing down your goals and your vision statement. Did you do that when you make yes. the, the uh, when you make the Olympic team? Yes. Awesome. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so you've been you, you've been using this yes. uh, principle since the beginning. Yes. You learn it when you when you're in church you hear it but you don't really apply it. Yeah. And then you have to learn and apply it. My um I had a really good coach at the time in uh jujitsu, Lloyd Irvin, who was really deep in um why why can't I remember uh, the Think and Grow Rich. Mm -hmm. Um and, and utilizing the, the principles of Think and Grow Rich. And then I had a really good sports psychologist, Dr. Peter Haverhill from the Olympic Training Center, who really made me write down all my goals and write down everything and write down my my what I want to do pre-practice to put just to because of mental framing. So you you just can't you just can't have your vision. You got to put yourself in the in the mental framing to make the vision manifest itself in the natural. So my pre-practice agenda. I'm, I will so and so so and so. And I'll show up for the warm ups on time. When I go through the warm ups, when I'm do the uchikoma, I'm not going to save myself on any of the drills. Trying to save myself for randori. That's not how you get in shape. What you do is you just, man, go hard as you can. And then as three, four, five, six, seven, eight weeks go, go then you'll be able to go through randori and you'll be better. But if you save yourself, you're never going to get in the kind of shape that you need to be. Blah, 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 blah. Write all these things pre-practice, go into practice, have a good practice, leave practice, and then write post-practice. Did I accomplish the objectives that I set forth right. pre-practice? People don't think, I, I left judo. I started judo at the age of six. I stopped it at the age of 12. I, I went to college. I played three sports. I wrestled, I ran track, I played football. And then I, I thought I was going to the NFL. I didn't go to the NFL. Got an offer to go to the Canadian Football League. Instead of taking that offer, I went to work for Texas Instruments. In 1996, I decided, man, I want to go to the Olympics. After watching Jimmy Pedro win a bronze medal, I graduated from college in 1997. I started training judo again after not training at all. For, uh, and how old were you at that time? Man, I graduated college. I, start, I, I entered college in, at 17, and I left at 22. So you have a, a big 10 years break of judo, and then you came back and, and make it to the Olympics. That's amazing. I came back and made it to the Olympics. I, I, made, I was an alternate in 2000. I graduated in 97. was an alternate in 2000. And then made the team in 2004. 
in about six years, six and a half years. Wow, that's amazing. Now, here's the thing. A lot of people talk about, you know, not winning an Olympic medal or not, you know, winning a lot of medals in Europe or not winning a lot of world champions or not winning a lot. When, when, when they talk about that as it pertains to me, they miss something. They miss the... I think they missed the key to the whole deal with somebody like me. Mm-hmm. What I did is I I didn't jump over the, the pennies, dimes, and nickels in order to get the dollars. I scooped up the pennies, dimes, and nickels as I was going to get the dollars, meaning all the little things that nobody did, I made sure that I did. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that I did was I sought out the professionals. I went and got a professional strength and conditioning coach. Juan Carlos Santana was my professional strength and conditioning coach. I got a professional strength and conditioning coach. I went and trained with Jimmy Pedro, stayed in Massachusetts with Jimmy Pedro for about two weeks, and I watched and observed everything. And I took notes on everything. I needed to see exactly, because I didn't have a lot of time. I didn't have two, three, four, five, six Olympics ago. I didn't have that. I didn't have it. Yeah. I played college football. My body was already beat up. It's, it's beat up now. I, I, I couldn't put my life on hold for three Olympic cycles. Right. No. I did I did one and a half cycles. And in that time, I, I did a lot. What I, what I did, and I try to encourage people to do is, man, do the small things, do the scouting reports. Man, they don't do scouting. You can't play college football without understanding the scouting report. In college football, you get your scouting report. You play the game on Saturday. After you play the game on Saturday, Sunday you come in to the training room because if you play fullback like I did, you, you're all beat up. So you get ice and ice bath and everything, massage and stem and everything. Then the coach kind of calls you and says, hey, man, let's sit down and watch a little film. You sit down and watch a little film where they handed you a, a videotape or a VCR tape back in the day. You go to your room, you watch the film so that you're kind of familiar with the film session on Monday. So you watch film before practice on Monday, after practice Monday evening, long film session, and they give you your scouting report before practice on Monday. Mm-hmm. Now, by Tuesday during the day of practice, they expect you to have the scouting report done. Yep. Like when the defense changes, you need to know where to go, know where to line up, know the audibles, know the check. You you need to know that. You need to know all that shit. You have to know it. Right. In judo, what I found out was I was like, man, these none of these dudes have scouting reports. <laughs> I had man, I had folders, Manila folders, scouting reports. The only person that I saw doing it, the only person I saw doing it like that, was. I went to Chicago one time and I and I and I spoke with Stephen Cohen. Stephen Cohen was one of the people that Jimmy Pedro used or utilized to help him um, prepare and get ready for his competitions and everything. Man, he pulled out a three ring binder, well, just one. He had several with every competitor that Jimmy had to go against in the world with the tendencies and the movement patterns and the moves and everything. And I said. Wow. Got it. Because that's what we did in football. Right. I just took the things that I learned in football and applied them in the in, in judo. There is a there's a lack of professionalism that we have not because the people want to 
not be professional. It's just I don't think we, we either we don't I don't think we have the resources. Do you think that this is one of the cause that uh, U.S. judo doesn't really perform very well in the Olympics? Because I'm originally from Brazil and we do very well in judo in Brazil. Uh, every Olympic, we always have someone there. Um, and I always expected before moving to U.S. I always expected that U.S. U.S. judo will be like that huge infrastructure. People will be like. You know, every time battling for uh, thir uh, uh, first, second, third place, but it's not happening very often, right? Wh why do you think is that? Well, there's a couple reasons. The first, the first reason is we have hallmark sports in the United States, and those sports are football and basketball and baseball. The best athletes that we have in our country play football, basketball, and baseball, hmm. period. We have a pipeline for those athletes, okay? Judo, more often than not, gets the athletes that are left over in our country. It's very different. And if, we, if you took a NFL lineman, a defensive lineman, an offensive lineman, and moved him over to judo and let him train as a heavyweight, we'd do a lot better at heavyweight. That's just how it is. If you took some of our defensive backs and running backs from the NFL and moved them over to, to judo early, then they'd do a lot better. We have a problem with recruiting. When I was the head coach for the Bahamas Judo Federation, our job was first and foremost talent identification. USA Judo has to do a better job with talent identification. Like you need to go pluck that kid out of Texas or Florida that's a state champion in wrestling or pluck the kid out who's doing very good in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and move him into Judo and, and have some type of incentivized program for that young person to do the sport. Yep. Um, I, I also trained in Brazil. I trained with Flavio Canto. Oh, I nice. Flavio is amazing. Canto's house for two and a half weeks. I trained with Flavio Canto um, in Brazil when the, with the Port when the um, team from Portugal came. I also trained with um, um, Flavio Canto when we went to Sao Paulo and we trained at Pinheiros mm -hmm. and we trained at Projeto Futuro in, in Sao Paulo. And um, I trained with Elton Febij. I trained with Marion, Mario Savino, Guy Rest His Soul, Flavio um, Anorato, Carlos Anorato, Luciano Correa, Leo Lecce and also um, Tiago Camilo. Yeah, I noticed that your Portuguese pronunciation is really good. All those guys. Obrigado. It was just good being in a room with, with all those people. Now, the one thing that they don't have in, in Brazil that we have in the United States is we have a lot of backbiting and infighting mm -hmm. like I know this and this person don't know that and this person don't know that there was there was a gentleman and I don't want to say his name because I, I really do and I, I say this all the time I really do love everybody mm -hmm. there's a gentleman who's a higher ranking person in 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 the in the landscape of, of judo who said something Kind of, kind of. It was, a, it was a negative behavioral comment, like a non-verbal behavioral comment towards me, which does no good for everybody else. Right. Because in the hierarchy of 
of teaching, education, and development, you have the Olympians at the top, and you have the national champions underneath, and then you have the grassroots players and coaches. Yep. At the top, where the Olympians are, there's a pecking order for Olympians, Olympic medalists, world medalists, world champions, and, and stuff like that. But those are the exemplars in the sport that are available to disseminate the information to everyone else. So sitting, cutting those people off or cutting those people down and stopping those individuals from, from providing their information and techniques and, and products. It does, doesn't help anything. It, it doesn't help anybody. Yeah. It doesn't help anybody. Right. It, does, it, does, it doesn't help anybody. And we, I, we, we have a problem with, with that where we, we cannot get to the point where we can put the best people at the table because we're always saying what somebody else doesn't have. Well, this person only knows junior level judo or this person only teaches this type of judo. They don't know that. Don't focus on what they don't know. Well, but each, that's a very poor way of thinking because if you think about uh, the diversity of ideas and skills, each one brings a very unique perspective to the table. Every, everybody has to, it's like, You have you have salsa, you have samba, yeah. and then you have fajal dancing. And if you've never been to Brazil, you don't know what fajal right. dancing I, is. I do know. <laughs> right, but fajal dancing is just it, it, it just it means just that it's for all. Yeah. But if you don't embrace the if you don't embrace the little bit from salsa and the little bit from merengue and the little bit from samba, then you don't have fajal dancing. Right. That's a great uh, analogy, yeah. Right, you don't, you don't, you don't have it, but you, you can't say, "Oh, my dancing is the best," and your dancing is no good. No, there's, a, there's, there's something that can be gained from, from everybody. Like a, a, a fragrance, a potpourri is, is made. The fragrance is good because you add, you have, you have different elements that you add to it. Yeah. You just, you just have to find the right elements to add to it. And I think we do a horrible job. Because we're so busy on pushing other people out, I can say unequivocally, I, man, I have over what, almost thirteen thousand students on Udemy.com. That doesn't count the students that I have on on my own personal platforms and the amount of people that I teach and the and places uncountable I people that read your books. Correct. Yeah. There's. So out of out of all the judo players in the United States, there's nobody who's sold more books than I have. Yep. That's a fact. Um, there there may be some some more recent guys who may may have sold some more videos, maybe. But I've been in the game since 2000, since 2004. I I, I probably sold more products and done more online than than any of my contemporaries. I've just been around for a long time. I've also never held a, a coaching position in the United States. Why? Not one. I've been the I've been the head coach for the Bahamas Judo Federation. The only person in the United States who's a judo Olympian to hold an international coaching assignment. Mm -hmm. I was a head coach for the World Championships, Junior World Junior World Championships, no, no Cadet World Championships, assistant coach for the Junior World Championships. I was the head coach for the CAC Games. I I mean I've I I've coached everywhere. I've coached internationally. Yeah. And I think that we 
we just don't have the best and the smartest and the most intelligent and the brightest people at the table who can provide some of the best ideas and can do so without with, with the removal of the egos if we can all if, me included right. me included if we can all remove our egos and come to the table and and provide a quality solution for USA judo i think that that will help everybody do you think that we're going to do good in tokyo this year <sighs> tough question <laughs> It's a I think it's a tough question because if you think uh, across the globe, uh, the athletes are not training as hard as they used to because of the pandemic. So I think there are a lot of. Uh... I know. I would say the athletes are training hard. They're just not, they're just not competing as much. Right. But they're training hard. I mean, I I, I see. But you but you see if you were if you watch the master uh, uh, championship that Teddy uh, won recently, it feels like they are not there yet from the competition mindset there is not a lot of clean technique you know so it's just because they are not practicing in competition that often remember that part of it it is so when you train you have to what we call intelligently under train you can't push the training so hard trying to get all the way to the peak because if you slightly overtrain, you're done. So you have to intelligently, so if, you, if you're training, you're training, and this is the maximum you can get, and over here is overtraining, and you get the drop off, you have to intelligently train in this area here. Mm -hmm. So what you do is you intelligently undertrain, 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 and then you stop, and then you let the neurological heightening close that gap. Mm. In, the, in the tournaments that we have right now, there's no, there's very little emotional or neural heightening because there's no crowd, right? No cheering. There's, there's really not a lot on the line. It's it's very difficult for a, for an athlete to ramp themselves up for a match where there's mm -hmm. where there's nobody. Where at this time, the whole world is supposed to be watching. Yeah, and it seems like nobody's watching, which is why you, there was an argument. On um, I think it was ESPN on Sports Center a couple weeks ago, when they spoke about the the NBA champions um, inside of the pandemic, it was like, well, this this it's not the same. They said, man, it's not the same. They said when you're shooting free throws and there's nobody behind that backboard cheering or making noise, I said, mm -hmm. they said it's not the same. That's true. It's, yeah. it's, it's not the same. It's not, it's not the same. It's, it's very different. It's not. It's not. It's not. The, the, the adrenaline is not the same. The pressure is not the, the same. It's not the same. Correct. The pressure yeah. is not the same. So these. So in on your uh, vision, the athletes that are training for the Olympics, they will actually peak at the Olympic. Yes. Yes. Because you, if you peak before, you're done. And that's so that's, from on that perspective, what do you think uh, our team is going to be able to accomplish on this Olympic? We're gonna do it well. I think um, I think it's going to be a rough year because of because we're kind of rebuilding. Um, I think that after such a, a successful run with. Um, 
with Travis Stevens and Kayla Harrison and mm-hmm. and Marty Malloy during that time period that I don't think we had anybody in the pipeline really. And and one of the people that we had in the pipeline, um, uh, God rest his soul, is no longer here. Um, I see Angela uh, um, Angelica Delgado I, I think Angelica Delgado can hit can hit it big and come through I see her I see her placing at the minimum top seven that's what I see mm-hmm. at the minimum yeah. top seven um, I, for her I think the pandemic is going to help her because it's reduced some of the matches that her contemporaries and her competitors had at the top end, and it and it really it's going to allow her to use her strengths, her power, yeah. her conditioning. I'm not saying that technique is not technique definitely is, but mm-hmm. she had a she had a lot where she can grow in terms of her strength and her conditioning, and she's been doing that with a um, with a very good coach by the name of uh, Phil Derue, and I and I been watching that closely i think i think she has opportunity to place top seven yeah. for sure yeah now i um, uh, you you talk a lot of, of uh, other things in the book but uh since you are very you know hard on this whole psychological aspect of the game what is your take uh because i have my theory but i think uh i would like to hear yours when did when teddy uh lost uh early le- uh last year Uh, for the Japanese, uh, he lost for the first time after almost, I think, 10 years that he was not. Um, I noticed that he came back much better uh, now. Teddy, Teddy was out of shape, but he he allowed himself to get right out of because shape. he was so confident that no one was gonna beat him, and and I, I think that I loss know. was great for him because he is hungry now. It was good for him, but if you looked at his schedule, he came to the United States. He was hanging out with with Under Armour in Baltimore. He was traveling. He was chilling a little bit. You cannot be on all the time. You can't. Um, and he was he was a little bit heavy that match and the match be, and some matches before that he was a little bit heavy and people started getting closer and closer and closer to him. Uh, But do you agree that it was a good thing for him to lose? No, it's, it's yeah, it's perfect. It's per, it, it, it's good for the Olympics. Yeah. It's good for the Olympics. Um, that that parody allows people to be very interested in in the outcome. Man, and Teddy's Teddy's won for a long time, and I don't, I don't like the new style of judo now and the reason why I don't like it has nothing to do with the style that I prefer it has to do with game theory but what 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 do you you don't like specifically what I don't like specifically is your so if we do a, if you look at a, a SWOT analysis strength weaknesses opportunities and threats so you have mm-hmm. your strengths okay and then you have your your weaknesses right. Then you have your opportunities and you have your threats, okay? So your strength should also provide your weakness. So Teddy Renner's strength is that he he's tall, long limbs, can use his legs. He's 6'8". Mm-hmm. 
But the weakness should also be because he's tall and he has long limbs. So him being that tall, if he fights, like if Muneta was still fighting, Muneta is short, mm-hmm. right? Muneta is my size, 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, if Muneta can't grab Teddy's legs, then it's then the strength that he the strength that he has doesn't provide the same weakness. Yep. So it, it doesn't provide a, a Muneta what opportunity to beat a Teddy Renner. And then what happens is then then you start creating weight classes more and more, which require a certain level physique in order to be good. Which is what we had to do with the when I was coaching for the Bahamas. After a while, we had to we had to start looking at if you're a heavyweight, it's impossible for us to recruit a heavyweight male who's five ten or five eight. He's not gonna win. Leo Soto, the Harai will take him out because he can't take a room and he can't grab the legs. Yeah. So so if if we're looking at an international, if I'm if I'm recruiting or looking for an international heavyweight, I, I, I can't I can't take him short. And if you notice right now, there are no short and, and heavyweights. Yeah. You can't be short at heavyweight. Yeah, anymore. the guy, the guy, the guy that lost for for Teddy on the finals, it was a Russian. He was really strong, but was way shorter. <laughs> he, took, but Teddy yeah. six eight. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There is uh, so so you so, don't you don't like the the the, the rules of yeah. Let, go let ahead. You said let me make this, let me make this point. If Teddy Renner, okay, growing up, if he's in the United States, he never sees judo. He will go straight to NBA. <laughs> or or he'd be playing tight end in football or defensive end. Right, exactly. So that's those are the yeah, things. No, that, that makes uh makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Um now the uh the other thing that you also cover uh in the book um about um this uh, visualization and preparation. What is your advice um for this probably doesn't happen on the professional level, or if it does, uh, correct if I'm wrong. But how do you really control your nerves? Because when you visualize, sometimes you are not able to simulate the, the level of you know adrenaline and, and be pumped for that moment. And then there is the whole being nervous sometimes avoid you to do the, the better movement, uh, avoid you to do uh, what you were planning to do. So how do you handle that? So you you can get as close as possible. So what we what I do is we pump crowd noise through the dojo. Um, you also hire bring in referees. Um, you also put chairs in the dojo and create the um, create an audience with with the parents and invite people. We we did that. Um, I remember we uh, at the Olympic Training Center. I remember when Daniel Cormier was getting ready. He was doing his mock his mock matches, and he lost his mock matches. And he was, he, we were laughing about it in the cafeteria. He says, "Man, I was nervous." He said, "Man, they played the music and everything, the Olympic music, and they had us walking down the hallway and had somebody escorting us like they would do in the tournament." He says, "Man, I literally got nervous, and I went out there and I lost." But that's what you do it for. So you you can get as close as possible. But I will say this. Um, I remember Jimmy telling me, he says, man, the best practice for 
the Olympics is going to the Olympics. Yeah. So people who go to the Olympics once, they're always better when they go a second time, then they get better when they go a third time. And it's just, and what I mean, they get better, they get better because the Olympics is a rep too. And that's not, it's not like you can get 15 Olympic reps. Yeah. It doesn't look like that. You know, you get one Olympic is your Olympic, one Olympics is your Olympic rep. Boom. Mm-hmm. Um, Jimmy had four. I know Winston Gordon had three. I think Flavio Canto had four. Um, and then you have world championships and things like that particular nature. You have your world championship. You have your big tournament reps. And I, I didn't have any of those big tournaments, man. I made one team. Really? You didn't go to the awards or anything? I, I made the world team in 2005, but I couldn't go because it was self-funded and I didn't have the money after the Olympics. I made one team. I never made a Pan Am team. I fought in the Pan Am championships, not the Pan Am games. I never made any team. The only team I made was the Olympic team. That was it. It was your uh, only shot. That, that was it, yeah. man. That was my shot. And how was the experience? It, do you think that the, that uh, experience completely changed uh, who you are, or it, it only adds to to your portfolio of things? It didn't change who I was. It it really allowed me to find out who I was. Um, there's a lot that you get from the from the Olympic experience. There's the people around you change some too. You know, mm-hmm. uh, there are people who, and there are people who have been doing judo long, and I was doing judo. Yeah. Um, I came up and came out and surpassed some people, and end up going to the Olympics and everybody wasn't so happy. Uh, <laughs> I can imagine. There is a lot of ego on that game. <laughs> But, you know, there's... Um, and I, I learned a lot about, you know, stuff with the Olympics. I, I also learned that, man, you could be in the best shape in the world and at your best and your best just is just not good enough. Yeah. And, and, that, and that's hard because some people never train really hard and then to find out that their best isn't good enough. I, I also found out that you have to really have faith in the people that are around you that, that they can bring you the, the best level of success. And you got to put all your eggs in that basket. Yeah. You know, you can't you can't get two years out of, from the Olympics and then change and go somewhere else and then go to another team. Go to another, mm-hmm. you, you really have to have the, the faith in, in, in that team and, and those people and, and that the, the set of coaches that you have around you, they, they can get you to where you need to go. And everything is not always about technique and the technique that these people have to, to teach you. Some things are, you know, they're, they're based upon like for like computers they're based upon handshaking. Yeah. Meaning, do you work well with this particular person? Do you work well with this style of coaching? Do you work well with this team? Does your strength guy communicate well with your 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 judo coach? And that's another thing that they don't do well in judo either. All the coaches, they would have a collaborative approach. Mm-hmm. Um, all the time. Um, but you you really find a lot about management. You find a lot about emotional regulation. You find out a lot about yourself in those situations. And, man, you really find out that, man, I, I'm really good. I'm one of the best people on the planet at this. Yeah. 
no matter how people feel about it, when you leave, people say, "Oh, you didn't do nothing. You didn't do this. You won one match, and you and you lost two." It doesn't matches. matter. You were there. Just you being there is amazing. <laughs> you were there. Listen, I I was one of the top thirty-two people at the hundred kilogram weight class on the planet, and they said, "Well, you 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 can't beat the number three guy from Georgia or the number two guy. Uh, that that though that's that's not the qualification standard." Yeah. That's not a qualification. This is the same quality. It's not. It's not the qualification standard at the World Championships in track and field. Like, you get one representative from your country or two representatives from your country, and that that's it. Yeah. And then and then you go. Yeah. No, but uh, you know those things are are quite normal. People that are not able to be successful, they always want to take a bite of your success. And uh, I'm, I'm not surprised mm -hmm. that you hear uh, such a, a comments like this because. Uh, it's it's kind of common. It's a human nature, right? It's common, and I, and I and I don't mind it, and I and I appreciate the the people that I'm able to to serve. And I have a lot of customers and followers and a quality fan base, man, and people who write me and email me and ask for advice that I'm I'm more than willing to give and more than willing to share. And I I really I thank God for being in the position that I'm in to be able to help exactly. people. Because I, I, I get to help a lot of people, yeah. man, which is really... You build your name and your platform to do that. And this is what really... This is priceless, you know? It's no. priceless. It's priceless. My, my whole thing is... I've always been like this. I really want to... I want to make enough money so that I can give it all away. And the more that I've, I begin to make and the more successful that I've gotten, the more I'm able to give away. And I can just give and give and give myself and give myself... And I, I really appreciate that. I want to be able to get to that point. I, I, I pray that I can get to that point. Well, but you already uh, give a lot with your knowledge and uh, your insights, your unique experience. This is, this is huge. You know, when you are able to have those experiences and you are able to talk to a kid that is thinking about making the Olympic team and you were there, mm -hmm. that experience is, that knowledge is priceless for that kid. Priceless. Because you are able to inspire that kid to say, look, he, I was able to do it. You can do it as well. Correct. 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 I think that this is, this is, is quite amazing. Um, the, the other thing is uh, you did NFL. Uh, and when we were exchanging mails, no, no, not, I, not I, I, NFL, I, sorry, uh, football. I yeah, did football. football. My dad played yeah. the NFL. My yeah. dad played the NFL. Now, you told me on the email when we were to, uh, exchanging mails that you have Lynn's Frank injury as well during that time, right? Oh my gosh! Yes, did you yeah, have that? Yeah, I had that recently. I'm still recovering. Bro, let me tell you. So I um my my senior year in football, we're playing um first game of the season. We're playing Marshall, Marshall University from uh, West Virginia. Randy Moss was playing uh, at the time for West Virginia. I mean for um for Marshall, Hall of Fame receiver. So I got the ball. Boom! I break through. <laughs> I'm breaking some tackles, man. I mean, a good run, spinning and turning. And somebody grabbed me from behind, and I plant my foot on the ground. And all I hear was, <sighs> and I, I go down. So I, I jumped up, and I went to run, and I couldn't run well. I said, damn, man, what's going on with my foot? So instead of running back to the huddle, I went to the sideline. And it was about maybe about probably about two or three minutes before the half, and I, I hurt my foot bad. So I went in. So the doctor and I went into the at halftime. And he cut the, the, um, the spat off my shoe and cut my um, ankle tape off and checked my foot. He says, man, he said, uh, he said, I, I, have, I don't have an x-ray yet. He said, but this is, this is, this is a positive Liz Franks fracture. Wow. 
I said, well, I said, let's, we got, we got to, we got to tape it up. He says, man, I don't know how we can tape up a Les France fracture. <laughs> you know, I said, what well, I said, just, I said, just move it in and then let's tape it. So, um, we put my foot in the ice bucket and halftime ended. The team came in for halftime and they had halftime meetings and I sat in the bucket and then they went out after halftime. So I was in the bucket for about 30, 40 minutes to let my foot totally freeze. They went out and then they taped my, my foot, taped my foot, taped my ankle back, two pairs of socks, spat at my, my, my shoe, almost gave me like a, a, a full cast and then boom, I came, I came out um, from halftime. I, it, I came out into the third quarter and from the third quarter, just went right back into the game. So I'm playing the game. I go back into the game, I'm playing the game, running fast, but still limping. Um, the second game we played on turf and I couldn't run on turf with the Les France fracture. Just wasn't happening. I'm so, I'm, third, I'm so surprised that you were able to do all that because when I had mine, I, I couldn't do anything like that. It was, I went straight to surgery. Pain. Listen, when I talk about painful, well, I, I could have got another red shirt year, but I didn't want to do it. So, we, I could play on grass. So I played the game. I played the third game on grass and the fourth game on grass because those were conference games. Then after the we played Florida A&M University. After that game, they put me in a cast to let my foot heal up. So I cast it for two weeks to let it heal as much as it could for two mm -hmm. weeks. So I, I sit in the cast for two weeks. My calf muscle, my whole foot would just drop yeah. like this. All right. My leg got small, so I came out of the cast, foot flopping down, and uh, the doc said, what do you want to do? I said, man, I go to practice, man, tape it up. So they put the mole skin on there, taped the foot, so they taped my foot so it wouldn't hump up. They taped it to try to keep it together, and they tape, tape, tape. I put, put a metal plate, they put a metal plate in my, in my shoe, taped around, went out of practice. I am talking, I'm telling you, it hurt bad. Um, so they didn't so you never like fixed this? You never had surgery? Didn't have surgery. So um, after I played, the, I, played the, I played the rest of the season, played the rest of the season, and we, they, they, they made like a, um, a half cast mechanism to keep, to keep the, 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 the front, you yep. know, because the Les France fractures up the top right. of the foot. So they had to bring it together. All right. And the doctor told me, he said, the problem is, he says, you keep messing with it. You're going to keep widening it. It's going to fracture worse. Right. Um, I think I think um, Travis Stevens had this. and He didn't get surgery either on his. Well, I, I had to have because uh, my ligament, yeah. my yeah. Lindstrom ligament is gone. I had to completely redo it. So I have I have hard on my foot. Now, my, my oh, question yeah. to you is you had this during the football. This never bothered you during the, the judo at all? No, here, no, not now, but here's the thing. I went right from football season, okay, into wrestling season. Oh, wow. Man, it hurt during wrestling season. It hurt like shit during wrestling season. It was almost like a year of just foot pain. It's a year, at least a year. It, it, well, well, which, uh, was this your support leg for me when you're throwing? Are you left or righting? I'm a left. Oh, so but, but it was uh, what? Which foot was it? Was the my left? Foot. Okay, so it's not your support foot. Okay. No, but then I used to, I used to do a lot of doubles. So I but my left foot is the foot that I spring off of when I'm running mm -hmm. track. 
but for your Uchimata, for example, uh, your support leg is your right leg. I don't do Uchimata. I was I was five. I'm five eight, man. I fought a hundred kilos. <laughs> I fought hundred. I, I did Sayanagi, man, and Morote Gara. I can't. Oh yeah, but Sayonagi, because for you, Morote is good. Yeah, but but and it's Uchimata. I, the guys, the, Luciano Correa. Luciano Correa is what he's six four, six five. This guy's too, too yeah, tall, man. That's true. <laughs> this guy's too tall. So that's a that's a good point because uh, do you think that for guys that are heavy and short, uh, uh, Sionagi and Morote are the best throws? Yeah, for yeah. sure, for sure. If you're short, you're using your torso. If you are tall, you're using your legs. This is how it goes. What what is your take on Tayatoshi? Good for any 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 body type or. Yeah, for anybody type, it's just if you're short, you have to use the Irimi Kazushi version. So you have to step in to create the Kazushi and then step around. Like a lot of people call it Ouchi Taotoshi, mm -hmm. but it's not Ouchi Taotoshi. It's all it's actually called Irimi Kazushi. So you step in with the left foot, pirouette the right foot, and then step across with the left foot to right. throw. Yeah. Yeah, I had my Lins Frank doing a Taotoshi because I was about to to uh, extend my leg to do the tatosh and my opponent uh, kuzushi me to the other side I lost balance and boom balance and yeah. man it hurts bad it is bad it is bad for sure it hurts bad yes uh, doctor uh, um, one one last question here just to wrap up um, what, what advice do you give you know for these people, these athletes, young athletes, or even mm -hmm. um, someone that like me, I'm 46 and I like to compete. Um, uh, I like to to train and I love the sport of judo. Um, how we continue to move forward uh, and uh, and achieve that longevity in this sport, right? Because as you said, you get beat up uh, and, and you have to pace yourself. And I already talked to uh, some judokas about this um, and they said, Yuri, randori is not something that you should do every day, for example, right? I, I, I talked to some uh, uh, athlete that said, well, you should do randori only three times a week. I had some others said, well, uh, it depends on how your body conditions is, right? But I, I think randori to me is very... Uh, tough on the body uh, and some other people say Uchikomi is what's going to make you better in judo so what's your take on that? <laughs> Uchikomi are great for advanced persons because they understand the whole movement the best the best form of training for, the, for, for judo players is doing Nagikomi that's it. Um, but why? Why do you think that? Because it provides the complete movement. Uchikomi is a partial movement. So when you see young competitors do a throw and they go in and they don't finish and, that, and their coach says, you got to go all the way in and you got to commit and you got to finish. Well, how can that kid commit and finish when the whole time you've been telling him you've created a neural pathway and you laid mile and sheath over going in and coming back out, going in and coming back out. So as soon as they feel, as soon as it feels heavy, they come out or they collapse because they've trained that movement. So all they're doing is they all they're doing is ma manifesting what they've trained. Right. The way that we do it now, you use 
throwing dummies. Throwing dummies allow you to get an insane amount of repetition without damaging your body. There's only four pillars of human movements, push-pull, locomotion, rotation, and level change. The dummy allows you to do the rotation, it allows the, the, the push-pull, and allows the level change. We don't have a lot of locomotion in judo. Mm. There's not a lot of running in judo. We can use it to get in shape, but it's not a lot of running yeah. in judo. And then we can also use the dummy in order to do the, the newaza movements. In my judo club, we have what's called dummy randori. You pick the dummy up, you throw it. You throw the dummy, double belt pull, hook sand, turn, okuri iri jimei, or you run the clock choke, the halajio, and they you know, over and over and over again, but you, you do these movements with the dummy, and you get really, really tired. Now, does it teach you the grip fighting? No. No, it does not. But... Who really needs high-level grip fighting? People who are going to compete. Yeah. At the beginning levels, those people really need to learn how to throw, 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 learn the combinations, learn the groundwork, learn the names. They need to learn all those things. And then as they do more randori, then they get some of the grip fighting down and the grip fighting uchikomi, and then they do the grip fighting more randori. You can, we probably do randori in my judo club maybe once every 10 days. Oh, wow, nice. Interesting, very interesting approach. So, but you, you don't do a lot of uchikomi either, right? I don't do I don't do any uchikomi. Interesting, because uchikomi is such but, a but, foundation on judo. I don't do any uchikomi until the players advance. Okay, okay. Like my son and my daughter, they do uchikomi. Okay. Everybody else, they're doing full movements to condition their minds to throw. Because what you said is really true. I've seen this with my daughter. Uh, she is so used to do Yuchikomi that when she's about to finish the movement, it's almost uh, she, do she doesn't really commit everything. And, and they let go. <laughs> yeah. Because they let go because they're not used to holding on. When you have the dummy, you can hold on and finish and roll all the way through, you finish. Yeah. And the thing about the dummy, it doesn't change the mechanics. The dummy changes the mechanics of the throw a little bit. So there's a crash pad. Yeah, yeah. Crash pad changes the mechanics of the throw too sometimes. Mm -hmm. But those are training tools that we have to train certain elements of the portions of the throw. Sometimes we're training the finish. Sometimes we're training the entry. Sometimes there's certain things that we're training. Sometimes we're training the movement, 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 step, boom, boom, taitoshi. Sometimes we're training the time. Sometimes we're training the timing. Yeah. But no matter how we train, I am trying to reduce the overall amount of trauma on the bodies as much as possible. Yes. You get to a point where you cannot run away from the trauma. Right. At the level of Teddy Renner, he cannot run away from the trauma. Yeah, it's gonna happen. Yep, it's going to happen. But we don't we don't have to compound that amount of trauma on the individual early. Mm -hmm. See, a lot of people do that early because most most people wash out and they're just concerned about creating junior national champions. So they are they are not really worried about longevity as well. Yeah. No, but we don't have. <laughs> In the United States, man, we don't have a LTD, man. We don't have a long-term developmental program. Yeah. And you need a long-term developmental program and you need a short-term development program because the fact of the matter is when you run the numbers on the martial arts business side, the kid who comes in your club, we lose most kids when they get into high school. Yeah. You lose, you lose the boys to sports because if they're great athletes, they're playing another sport. Mm -hmm. And you lose the girls to 
sometimes other sports, but sometimes just different stuff. Like girls don't want to go into martial arts high school with yeah. And that happens if you're fighting or they start getting interested into boys and they start getting their nails done and they don't want to mess up. You you know this. They get yep. the, they don't want to mess up their nails. Yeah, yeah, I have two daughters I know, and one one um, uh, trains judo, and nails is something pretty big that I, we keep talking about. I, really, they don't want to. So what you have to do as a parent, you have to invest in the pedicure and let them go all out on the pedicure and do all type of stuff because they can't really do their nails. So you got to try to say, oh, honey, your feet look great, blah blah blah, boom, boom, because you you still want them to do judo. Yeah, because it's yeah. Them to keep doing their nails and do judo. Yeah. That's an amazing point. Um, I'm actually, now that you said that, I'm going to invest on a dummy uh, because I cannot, I'm still healing. The doctor didn't really release me to, to do any randori or anything. So I'm going to get a dummy. Listen, you you let me know. I have a, um, I got a relationship with a, um, with a, with a retailer that I just established this past week because they've been looking at some of the things that I've been doing online. I also have a 52-week training program a 52-week dummy training program. Oh, nice. Man, it's, it's called Matwork Magics, matworkmagic.com. For 52 weeks, man, there's so many people have been utilizing this program during the pandemic. I'm going to watch out. I'm going to look at it for sure. As long, as long as you have a dummy, you can do the program. But uh, I have, I have uh, the the judo dummy. I think is different from the jujitsu dummy, right? Because the judo needs to be a standing standing dummy, right? Is it kind of different from the jujitsu, right? It's a standing dummy. I, I use it for both. I use the same one for both, but I use a standing one that I can throw. And okay. I've gone through a lot of dummies. So the the people that I the, the company that I developed a relationship with, those are the dummies that I have in my dojo. And I have about probably twelve dummies in my dojo right now. Do you have that information available on your website about the dummies? Not yet, because I'm still finalized this weekend. This I should have it finalized by Monday evening because I got to email the them back because they got to get in touch with the CEO. But yeah, I, well, I I can I'll I'll get with you after we finish, and mm -hmm. I'll make sure that that um you get the style of dummy that I have. Okay, excellent. Then I get the program and the dummy, and I'll be set to go. That's great. Fantastic. All right, Doctor, thank you very much for your time. It was a pleasure and honor to, to have you on the show. Uh, I think uh, you do a, an amazing job. As you said, you touch a lot of people on your academy, on your videos, but, but also on the books because I got to you uh, via the book. And the great idea to put that book in Audible uh, because it's way more accessible, it's easy you know, to listen and very inspiring. So congratulations for the great work. Thank you, man. You know, I, have, I have a couple more books on Audible too. I have a couple more. Yeah, I have a uh, uh, Audible subscription, so I'm gonna look for the other ones as well. Okay, man, I appreciate. It. Man, listen, if anybody is looking for really excellent information in terms of grip fighting, I have a, a grip fighting academy where you get a hundred videos for free. All you do is go to www.gripfighting.com and jump into the grip fighting academy. And I have a seminar that I did in Atlanta, uh, which I did it for nine ninety seven, and the whole thing is on there free. And I got videos that just cover grip fighting. And if you want to upgrade to something else, you're more than welcome to. But if you just want the free stuff, the free stuff is available for you too. Oh, www. Right. That's, uh, that's beautiful. Grip, grip fighting um, it's, uh, is some, so important for judo. Yes, 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 yes. Yuri, man, I appreciate you, man. I appreciate your time. I appreciate thank it. You so thank you so much for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, doctor. Bye-bye. This, this was muito legal. Muito legal. <laughs> Obrigado. Fica <laughs> feel.